I would like to welcome you to the workshop series titled God's Financial Wisdom for Young People. The presenter, Tom Copeland, is a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ who has been called to teach God's Word on finances since 1982. Tom has helped thousands of people learn and apply God's financial principles. Tom is the founder and president of Copeland Financial Ministries, and his financial moments are aired on numerous radio and TV stations. Now, here's Tom teaching God's financial wisdom for young people. I would like to welcome you to this series titled God's Financial Wisdom for Young People. Although the biblical principles taught in this series can benefit anyone of any age, the practical applications, including the real-life case studies, will be focused on the financial challenges that young people face. By young people, I'm generally referring to people between the ages of 15 and 29 years of age. This is session seven out of eight sessions on the topic of uh, God's financial wisdom for young people. And in this particular session, I'm going to be focused on the topic of financial deceptions. Now, you may wonder what a financial deception is. Here's my definition. It's a, it's a term I've created. I think it's quite appropriate for today. In this world, we are bombarded with all kinds of false concepts with regard to finances. I call these financial deceptions. Financial deceptions are beliefs that appear to be correct, but they're contrary to God's word. Appear to be correct, but they're contrary to God's principles, and they often tempt people to get into debt. So here's the, uh, the first question I have for you. Uh, I, I like to get people thinking as, as they, they listen to the show. Do you think that living paycheck to paycheck is common for young people? I can tell you the answer is yes. For young people, for middle-aged people, and even older people, most people in this country and around the world live paycheck to paycheck. That's they spend all their regular income, and they have no savings. And um, what's what's uh, and most people think that that's fine. There's no problem with it. That's okay. Uh, but when an unexpected expenditure comes along, what happens? They're forced into debt. Or when an expected one comes along, they haven't saved for it, so again, they're forced into debt. When people live paycheck to paycheck, almost for sure, they're going to eventually, over time, accumulate quite a bit of debt. But God says this is foolish. In Proverbs 21.20, it says, The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. So the wise person saves, the foolish man spends whatever he gets. He lives paycheck to paycheck. And I can tell you from experience, they eventually suffer the consequences. I can say this, that unfortunately most young people fall into the foolish category as they do not regularly save for things such as anticipated non-monthly expenses, such as their tuition fees, books, accommodation costs, transit or automobile costs. They don't save for those things, and they should. Uh, secondly, um, often they don't save for normal unexpected expenditures. It could be an auto repair, it could be a dental bill, it could be any expense that you didn't anticipate. And a third thing that they don't do is they don't have an emergency fund to cover unexpected expenditures or a significant reduction in their income. Proverbs 21.20 in the NIV version says, In the house of the wise there's a storage of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. In other words, it's biblical to have some savings. And I'd say have three to six months of expenses worth of savings. Like have a, have a, try to develop some good savings because you never know what's going to happen. And you know what? No one's ever regretted having a surplus of uh, Money in the bank, um, most people have regretted when they didn't have any money there in order to pay for an unexpected expenditure. And the fourth thing um, that young people need to save for is longer-term needs, such as down payment for, of a home, uh, down payment for, for a home, and also purchase of a car. So the first deception, um, that living paycheck to paycheck is okay, it's not true. Have a look at uh, Luke chapter 14, where Christ said, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Now, you may not want to build a tower, but maybe you want to save 
for next year's uh, tuition or save for the accommodation costs or eventually save for a car. Christ said, suppose you want to do anything, will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays a foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who saves, sees this will ridicule him, said this fellow began to build, was not able to finish. I've seen hundreds of young people where they started in post-secondary education and they were not able to finish it. They ran out of money. Uh, they, they, they ran up so much debt they couldn't get any more debt and they weren't able to finish it. Christ is warning that we need to plan ahead, we need to count the costs, and then ideally save up for all your, and not incur any debt, but if you have to incur debt, do it wisely for needs only, not wants and desires, and make sure it's, uh, it's not excessive because you may run into a problem where either you can't complete your current uh, university or college degree, or you cannot go on and get a second one. And some, some um, jobs that some people want actually require two, uh, two university degrees. So here's the key. In summary, living paycheck to paycheck is not consistent with God's word. God's admonition is that we should plan ahead and save for future needs. The second financial deception I'd like to talk about is this one. Debt restructuring will solve your financial problems. Let me tell you what I see often. A young person goes to university. The, uh, the, the credit card companies show up, they give them a credit card, he spends money on the credit card, or she spends money on the credit card. They run up their credit card to the max, and often the credit card company will even raise it higher and let you get in further into debt. But eventually there comes a point where they, they can't meet all, they can't pay their credit card, so they go get a student line of credit to pay off the credit card, but that doesn't solve the problem. It just treats the symptom. Then they run the credit cards up again. Another uh, example is where they run up one credit card and then they go and get a second or a third one, use a, get borrow money on the second credit card to pay off, pay the minimum payment on the first credit card. Then they run up the second credit card. Then they do the same with the third credit card. And I've seen a number of young people graduate from post-secondary with several credit cards, maxed rate to the limit. And then often if they get really into debt and they can't, uh, can't even meet the, the credit card payments by getting another credit card, uh, they'll go and borrow some money from some relatives or parents. And all of this is what we call debt restructuring. It's just borrowing money from somewhere else to f finance or fund uh, a first debt that was taken on or to continue with a lifestyle or expenditures that you really can't afford. And I can tell you this, uh, although debt restructuring like the student line of credit can lower some interest costs because the interest rates on credit cards are really high, it doesn't deal with the underlying problem, and the underlying problem is that you're spending more than you're earning and accumulating debt, and you've got to deal with that underlying problem. Spend less than you earn um, and have a surplus so you can pay down debt and save for future needs. And here's what I find, common reasons for um, young people spending more than they're earning. The first I'd say is, uh, is a lack of knowledge and, and uh, just understanding what's happening with their finances. I've sat down with so many young people they complete post-secondary, and they're just astonished with how much debt they accumulated. And then I ask them to go back and look at their credit cards and their bank statements and stuff, and uh, just determine where did you spend money, and how much, what percentage did you spend that was on wants and desires as opposed to needs. And they're actually quite astonished that often a very large percentage, 30, 40, 50, sometimes 60%, is on wants and desires and not needs. Um, debt that's totally unnecessary. Here's a key biblical principle in Proverbs 24. By wisdom a house is built, through understanding it is established, through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Notice the emphasis there in scripture about wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. People need to understand their finances, but they also need to have wisdom, God's wisdom. And the only way, only way you get that is from learning and applying what God's word says on finances. Another reason for spending more than you earn is just simply a lack of discipline. Sometimes people know what they should do, but they don't do it. 
Um, a third reason would be an unwillingness to sacrifice as needed. And Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me, Luke 9.23. And some people, I find, they just spend too much on eating out, entertainment, vacations, um, and other expenses that are not necessary, and they need to uh, learn to, to sacrifice, um, to, to, to downsize their lifestyle, and learn to be content with less. Now, sometimes the root cause of a financial problem, some people will find this hard to believe, but sometimes it goes beyond the financial into the spiritual. Here's some spiritual problems that can give rise to financial problems. Covetousness, just having an attitude, that's actually a, a, a spiritual problem. One of the commandments in Exodus chapter 20, God said, do not covet your neighbor's ox, your neighbor's uh, wife or manservant, or your neighbor's house, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. In other words, don't, all because one of your fellow students or young person has something that's nicer than yours, or they have something you don't have, don't covet that. Uh, God warns against that, because that can cause you to go out and buy it, and usually uh, people don't have the money, so they get further into debt. A lack of contentment. Hebrews 13.5 says, where Jesus said, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. So we need to be content with whatever God has provided to us. And if you're spending more than you're making and accumulating debts, that means you're not content to live within the provision that God's given to you. Another thing that um, spiritual problem, uh, a worldly attitude really that can give rise to financial problems is greed. Just being greedy or selfish, which the Bible warns against. Or even pride. Sometimes people buy things. I've seen young people where uh, one of their friends, I think of a fellow where his uh, buddy of his bought a a nice car. And uh, he thought, well, if he deserves that, I, I want to get an even better car. And, and really the motive was pride. God's not, God's not going to bless that. And of course, he took on debt in order to do that. So these uh, covetousness, lack of contentment, greed, selfishness, and pride, these are worldly attitudes and, or mindsets that represent ungodly thinking. So the person actually has a spiritual problem and they need to deal with that. What's required in order to deal with this ungodly thinking or this worldly thinking? I focus on two scriptures. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? Joshua 1.8 gives the answer. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be able to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. God's saying we need to get into his word and follow it. The third financial deception is that smart people use other people's money. I'm going to go through that in a minute. Smart people use other people's money. That's a lie. That's, um, that's only true if you can predict the future. That is, for example, if you can borrow money and, and invest in the stock market and, um, and make, make money, but no one knows the future. Only God knows the future. Uh, that's for sure. Um, and we know that only God is in control. The absolute truth is only God knows the future, Isaiah 46.10, and only God is in control. Proverbs 27.1 states, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day will bring forth. And in James chapter 4, 11 to 13, God warns us not to presume on the future. And we'll talk more about that in, in a minute. I'm going to actually, I'm going to talk about it right now. When, when you borrow money, you're presuming on the future. Here's three examples. When a young person uses credit cards, student lines of credit, quite freely during their post-secondary education, often they're presuming uh, that shortly after they graduate, they will get a really good job with an excellent salary. This or may not be the case, as James talks about in, G in James chapter 4. Some young people will borrow money to invest in the stock market, which God warns about, and they're presuming that they know the future, and they don't. And often they, they, they can get stung, especially if they're using debt. And some young people borrow and purchase an automobile before they can afford the loan payments, and they can end up in trouble. 
So Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead the profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Why? Because often hasty decisions are usually bad decisions. I can tell you this. Using minimal debt or better no debt is supported by Scripture. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, God promised His people that if they fully obeyed Him, they would be lenders and not borrowers. In the Bible, debt was considered to be a curse, not a blessing. Even today, debt is usually a, it's a burden as a minimum. Uh, it's not a blessing. And I've helped thousands of people become totally debt-free, and I can tell you, no one's ever regretted it. They suddenly have a, a sur surplus of cash each month. I've helped hundreds of young people get through post-secondary education with no debt, and no one's ever regretted that as well. I can tell you that. One other scripture, at least a couple more, is not a sin to borrow. It's a sin to borrow, not repay. Psalms 37:21 says, The wicked borrow and do not repay. However, God warns of the dangers of debt, Proverbs 22:7, and God instructs us to put Him first and trust Him not the bank or a credit card company, to meet our needs. God's saying, and then I think of Philippians chapter 4, where Paul said, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. It's God that's promised to meet our needs, not God, not the credit card company, uh, or God and the credit card company. It's God that's promised to meet our needs. I can tell you this, the accumulation of debt when you're young can have very significant negative implications in the future. Here's some examples. The young person cannot complete their post-secondary education as they plan. Uh, sometimes they can't even complete their first degree. I've seen that because they run into so much debt. Or they uh, cannot continue. And, and some, some jobs, like I say, need two degrees today, and they can't take that second degree because they've got so much debt. And as per Session 5, go back to that, um, significant debt brought into a marriage relationship can easily destroy that marriage, very easily. Statistics show that about 80% of couples that get separated or divorced in this country say that finances was the number one thing they argued about. And most of the time, I can tell you, most of the time there's enough money. The problem is there's just one or both that do not understand and do not follow God's financial principles. And when you follow the world's way of managing money, the odds are you're going to get into debt and get into trouble. And it can just, the stress can just destroy your marriage. Also, another example of uh, a, a young couple when they've accumulated debt is, is the young couple may have to defer starting their family. In other words, and even after she has a baby, the wife cannot stay home with the kids but must continue to work full-time in order to service their debts. And often this is not what they really plan, but, but sometimes that's what happens. The key point is this. From God's perspective, smart people do not use other people's money. Rather, smart people borrow as little as possible and pay it off as quickly as possible. I can say this, I've been, pro been providing biblically-based financial advice to thousands of young people since 1982, and I can say with conviction that when a young person accumulates a lot of debt, eventually, eventually they'll suffer the consequences. However, if they manage money God's way and use minimal debt, they'll avoid a lot of the problems and experience God's peace in the area of finances. So financial deception number four, it makes sense to buy now and pay later. Uh, this is the next one I'd, I'd like to talk about. Almost, today, almost anything can be purchased with little or no, no down payment. Advertisements enticing you with 0% financing, no payments for one to two years. And credit cards are so readily available, even for the young person uh, who has little or no income. I mean, like I said, they show up at the university and colleges and give them out. And so this easy credit creates an incredible temptation to buy now and pay later. God's directive is different. Psalms 37.7 says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Lamentations 3.24 says, The Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. So if you have a need, I encourage you to pray and wait upon the Lord. God can provide in many ways. He can provide some unexpected income, a better deal on a purchase, or perhaps another alternative. 
Or he may show you that you can be content and that you don't need that item that you're thinking of buying. Unfortunately today, many Christians do not pray. They don't wait upon for God's provision. In a sense, they don't even give God a chance to provide. And remember Matthew chapter 6 where God said that if we put him first, that he will meet our needs. That's what Christ said. He, this is specifically what he said. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Further, God has directed us to be content with his provision. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. So the, to summarize financial deception, number four, that it makes sense to buy now and pay later, it's not true. In summary, God has promised he will meet our needs as we put him first and that it is his desire for us to wait for his provision and his timing. The next financial deception I'd like to talk about, number five, is this one. Bankruptcy will solve my financial problems. The Bible is clear that it is not God's will for anyone to go bankrupt. Psalms 37.21 says, The wicked borrow and do not repay. And also, bankruptcy is a bad testimony. God instructs us in Matthew 5.16, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. What kind of a light in a world of darkness is a Christian that doesn't pay their bills on time? Um, they're, not, they're not a testimony. I've seen thousands of cases where young people get into a lot of debt and believe that if they declare bankruptcy, that will solve their financial problems. The truth is that bankruptcy just treats a symptom. The real problem is generally they've been violating God's financial principles, which usually continues even after the current debts are eliminated by way of bankruptcy. It's interesting, stats show most people that go bankrupt, within a couple of years they're in, in difficulty again. So the summary is the deception of this world is that bankruptcy will solve one's financial problems. That's not true. Generally, the true cause of the problem is the violation of one or more biblical principles. So depending on God... You need to learn and apply God's financial principles. And I've seen hundreds of cases where young people were on the verge and considering bankruptcy. They started to manage money God's way. God's hands started to move. They'd have these little miracles, unexpected income, great deal on a purchase. Um, and God enabled them so often to pay off their debts. Um, it's just, uh, but often people don't even give the Lord a chance. They don't even, they don't get into his word and get serious about learning and applying God's word on finances. So here's a summary of the different types of financial deceptions. Living paycheck to paycheck is okay. That's not true. God's admonition in Scripture is actually we should plan ahead and save for future needs. Proverbs 21.20. The second financial deception is that debt restructuring will solve your financial problems. Debt restructuring just keeps the symptom. The problem generally is people are spending more than they're earning. They've got to learn to, to live, um, to be content with less, develop and implement a budget to ensure they spend less than they earn. So they have a surplus to pay down debt rather than accumulating debt. The third deception, smart people use other people's money. The biblical truth is that smart people use as little debt as possible and pay it off as quick as possible. The fourth one is it makes sense to buy now and pay later. That's not true. Um, God's admonition, he wants us to plan and save for future needs and to rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Allow God, pray and give God some time and opportunity to provide something. Don't just go out and borrow and buy the thing because you want it and because the credit's available. And the fifth uh, financial deception is that bankruptcy will solve my financial problems. Generally, it doesn't. It just, treat, just treats the symptom. Uh, the problem is usually that the individual or couple is um, violating many biblical financial principles, often unknowingly. But given that you're listening uh, to this workshop series, I would encourage you to really make it a point of learning what the Bible says on finances and following up.
How do we avoid financial deceptions? I find the key is to understand and apply God's truth with respect to finances. In John 8:32, Jesus said to his disciples, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Unfortunately, most people have believed lies from the world and Satan. As a, as a result, they're managing money the world's way rather than God's way. And for those who knowingly or unknowingly manage money in a worldly fashion, in due course, they will eventually suffer the consequences. And I'm going to give you those two key scriptures again because I think these scriptures are really key. Uh, Romans 12, 2, where it says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? Joshua 1, 8 gives the instruction. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so you may be careful to do everything written in it. God is saying, get into his words, study it, meditate on it. Allow God through his word and his spirit to change the way you think about and the way you manage money. I'm going to go through a real-life case study. As usual, the names have been selected at random, but the facts of the case study are, are real. They're, they're, they're actually, I've seen this, um, this particular kind of situation many, many times. Here's the case study. Fred is a committed Christian who has almost completed his third year at Bible school. Unfortunately, like most of his friends, he spent more than he could afford, a lot of money on wants and desires as opposed to needs, and accumulated significant debt. Fred has never had any savings, as he doesn't think that's important. Fred feels led by the Lord to go on to seminary and eventually become a pastor. However, since he's maxed out his credit cards and student line of credit, as well as government loans, it appears that Fred will be forced to work full-time at a secular job in order to pay off his debts before he can attend seminary. During his time at Bible school, Fred met his sweetheart, Laura, who he really wanted to marry. Laura is a committed Christian who had previously learned about managing money according to biblical financial principles from studying God's word on finances and from the example of her parents. So as a result, Laura had started saving for post-secondary education with some help from her parents as soon as she had some income at about 12 years of age. Laura only spends money on needs, not wants and desires, and Laura has almost completed her third year of Bible school, but she has no debt and considerable savings for her age. From time to time, Laura would gently express her concerns to Fred about the way he was spending money. Fred would respond that Laura just needs to trust the Lord, and Fred would quote Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. I'll talk more about that, and we we'll get into the questions about whether this was proper use of this scripture, but let's carry on with the case study. For a while, it appeared that Fred would not be able to go to seminary as he had too much debt. However, Fred's parents loaned him a chunk of money in order to pay off his credit cards. Fred believed that this solved his financial problems. Fred did complete seminary three years later. However, unfortunately, Fred continued with his bad financial habits, spending more than necessary and accumulating more debts. Shortly after completing seminary, Fred applied for a position as an assistant pastor at a church. Everything about the position was ideal, and after several interviews, the leadership had decided they would hire Fred subject to obtaining a credit check and assessing how he manages money. The leadership explained that pursuant to 1 Timothy chapter 6, that an elder must not be a lover of money or material things and must manage his own family well, which would mean including he must manage his finances well. The leadership determined that Fred had a terrible credit rating, and as a result, Fred did not get this job. Fred then proposed marriage to Laura, but Laura was very reluctant because she had noticed how he managed money. She asked Fred to disclose all of his debts, which he did, and Laura was astonished as to how much he owed. 
Laura understood that mismanagement of money and accumulation of debt was the number one cause of separation and divorce. Laura was in tears because she loved Fred very much, but she felt she could not take the risk and therefore she said no to Fred's marriage proposal. So here's the first question. What financial deceptions did Fred believe? Provide a re reference to scripture for each point. It's really important to, if you can provide a reference to scripture. So what are the, some of the financial deceptions that Fred believed? Number one, he believed that it's okay to buy now and pay later. In other words, use debt fairly, uh, quite freely. Uh, and it's okay to accumulate debt. Uh, he thought it was all fine. But God's word, Proverbs 22, 7 warns of the dangers of debt. And throughout scripture, God, whenever he provided needs, he did it with no debt. So God clearly, scripture clearly discourages debt. Secondly, Fred believed that debt restructuring would solve his financial problems. That's when he borrowed money on his student line of credit to pay off his credit cards, and then when he borrowed money from his parents to pay off his credit cards that he'd run up again. Um, he, um, he believed that debt restructuring would solve his financial problems, but it didn't, because he didn't address the underlying problem that Fred was spending more than he could, could afford and accumulating debt. Proverbs 22.6 says, A prudent man sees danger and takes refuge, but the simple keeps, keep going and suffer for it. And so he was not prudent. Number three, Fred was living paycheck to paycheck. He had no savings. He was violating Proverbs 21.20. And so when the unexpected or even expected expenditures came up, he was forced to take on even more debt. Fred had little or no understanding of what God's Word says on finances. This is a key. And when Laura expressed her concerns, Fred, Fred misused Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 by telling Laura that she should just trust in the Lord. The biblical truth is this. Fred was not trusting the Lord because he was violating many biblical financial principles. You can't tell someone, I'm trusting the Lord, when you're violating God's Word. That's not trusting the Lord. Trusting the Lord is when you follow God's Word in managing money, and then in faith you trust that God's going to meet your needs. As Scripture says, He may not meet your wants and desires, but as Christ said, if we put Him first and follow His Word, He'll meet our needs. And this is a Scripture that unfortunately applies very much to Fred. Proverbs 12.15 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Now let's suppose that Fred becomes open to uh, some biblical financial counsel. What biblically-based financial advice would you give him? Think about that. Provide a reference to Scripture for each point. The first is that Fred needs to humble himself, 1 Peter 5, 6, and acknowledge that he has believed many financial deceptions demonstrated by the fact that he's been violating many biblical financial principles. He needs to face the reality of how he's mismanaged money, frankly. Secondly, Fred needs to allow God to change the way he thinks about money and the way he manages money by meditating on key scriptures with respect to finances, Joshua 1.8. Thirdly, Fred should attend a small group biblical financial study or go to our ministry website, copelandfinancialministries.org, and work through the online interactive version called Financial Management God's Way. He needs to get into something and really study what God's Word says on finances. Fred should seek biblical counsel from his girlfriend, Laura, and at least one godly man who understands God's word on finances, Psalms 1.1. Fourth, Fred needs to develop and implement a budget, Luke 14.28-30, to ensure that he's spending less than he earns and has a surplus to pay down debt and save for future needs. Five, Fred needs to save up some money for an emergency fund and unexpected expenditures, Proverbs 21.20. Number six, Fred needs to avoid the temptation of easy credit. He's one person. He needs to do plastic surgery, take out the, the, uh, the, the scissors, and cut up the credit cards. And going forward, just use a debit card and cash. That way he avoids temptation of easy credit, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 
And number seven, Fred needs to understand that smart people do not use other people's money. Rather, smart people use as little debt as possible and pay it off as quick as possible. Romans 13, 8. So if you'd like to learn more about God's financial wisdom for young people, be sure to go to our website, copelandfinancialministries.org, and watch the seven other half-hour shows. And there's numerous other resources available on the website.